really quickly want to say as an announcement, if you're interested in joining Council Presbyterian Church, we're going to have a new members class, maybe a, also a communicants class. Uh, just contact the office, let us know you're interested. With that, I need to t talk to you about jobs that actually exist. Jobs that actually exist. Steve, golf ball diver. They say they earn about $200 a day. I, you, I don't know, how much money do you need to have to think you're gonna jump into one of those ponds at the golf course? I don't know, is there an aptitude test for that? They have alligators here? Well, no. go down further south. Yeah. yeah, that's true, right? They love the golf course. Yeah, next, next job, professional line stander. Line? Professional line stander. These are people who stand in line for things like iPhones and Black Friday sales. If you don't want to stand there all night, they say they make about $1,000 a week. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this one's real. I found it online. Paper, paper towel sniffer to make sure paper towels smell right. Iceberg mover, that became popular after the Titanic. They say they, they, say they actually send boats out to go move icebergs. Fortune cookie writer. Yeah, well, someone's got to write those, right? Yeah, we could, we could write them in our spare time, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I always see shows about how they put the cookies together. I never see where they show the people writing those things. Okay. Next one, you ready for this? Snake milker. Snake milker. Yeah, don't, don't have a picture of a cow on your head right now, okay? It, it's a person who grabs a snake by the head and they get the, the venom out so, yeah, so they can make anovenoms and things like that. Okay, here's one, $40,000 a year, supposedly. You ready for this? Dog food taster. Dog food taster. Because they say that dogs won't tell you, you know, what it tastes like. I mean, they eat, I mean, my daughter knows, my mom served our, our dog that I was growing up with, a food called Fives. It had to be the driest, worst dog food on the planet. My mom was like, hey, if she's hungry, she'll eat. So <laughs> it's just kind of a funny little dog food taster. I mean, how do you make sure it's salmon and rice, right? Or liver. There was a, a woman that I pastored. I wish you could all meet. She's in glory now. Mona. It was my first EPC church out on the West Coast. Mona. I love Mona. She was something else. She, everyone said she was a great cook. She lost her olfactory sensories a long time ago. She just knew how to cook her stuff. But I, the first interaction I had with Mona, it was a little church. I was making sure there's two back doors. And I was making sure they were closed and locked, and I pushed one open. And as I was about to pull it and slam it to make sure it was closed, I hear someone yelling, help, over on the other side. So I peek out. Mona's like 85 at this point. She's standing outside the church, and I go, Mona, what are you doing? And she said, well, I was leaving this way, but when I closed the door, my skirt got caught in the door, and now I'm stuck here. I go, I'll come free you. So I just had to push the door open and she could go. But Mona also shared with me one time she went to the grocery store, and she was a little upset so about a product, and she went in and said, I need to talk to the manager right now. She's really upset. I need to talk to the manager right now. So they found the manager. He came out to talk to Mona. And he goes, ma'am, uh, I'm the manager. How can I help you? And she said, I need to tell you right now that I bought this ice cream here, and it tastes terrible. And he goes, oh, well, OK, can I take a look at it? She goes, yes. 
So she hands it to him, and he's reading it, and he looks at her and he says, your dog didn't like it? It was liver-flavored ice cream. <laughs> Mona said she looked at him and said, uh, never mind. <laughs> I mean, how much, yeah, that's a lot of humility to tell somebody that you actually messed up like that. And you, well, I mean, come on. I, I, if I bought liver-flavored dog ice cream, and try, I'm not going to tell you if I try it or not. But that was Mona. I, I'm telling you, if Mona was here, you guys would have a blast. Everybody loved Mona. And Mona has nothing to do with the sermon. It's, it's okay. I, it's not like a lead-in. It doesn't like build into what I'm about to preach to you. Instead, I'm going to preach to you from Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. 54 through 60. And this is what the passage says. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Are we going to get the scripture? Oh, there it is behind me. I didn't see it on the screen in front of me. Sorry, everybody. I'm, I'm catching up with everybody. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Will you pray with me as we get ready for the sermon? Lord God, would you please give us the hearts of this wonderful deacon, Lord? Open our hearts to your word, please. Use me, if you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. So going back into verse 54, when it said, and when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. Uh, you know, you can get all kinds of images for gnashing teeth, right? Like, like that, or, you know, it doesn't work. But let me remind you what Stephen was he was one of the first deacons and he's on trial because God is moving in power with him and he's also speaking the truth where he's going and men were induced to lie about him and they said they said that he had spoken against Moses and against God so the Sanhedrin's able to bring him in to put him on trial what was Stephen actually saying if you go back and read Acts chapter 6 Stephen was telling them that the people of Israel always are messing up rebelling, killing the prophets. He'll also make the accusation, you killed the righteous one. And you have the law and you have not obeyed it. You can see why they're really upset with Stephen. He's not saying things that they want to hear. He's telling them what he's been observing. In verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So God now shows Stephen an open vision of heaven as he's standing there. Could you imagine standing there and you look up and you just see heaven open in front of you and you see the glory of God. Again, the description of God is that he's an all-consuming fire. He dwells in inapproachable light. I mean, just the sheer glory of his being. And Stephen gets to look up and heaven is open before him. You know, people sometimes have visions or experiences with God before they die. I can still remember 
getting the call one day when Diana's mom was dying a long time ago, 30 some odd years ago. And her brother called to say, Mom said that she saw Jesus and he asked her if she wanted to come home. And she said, yes, Diana, you need to get here quick. She had had a, a vision of Jesus. But Jack, Dr. Jack Deere, one of my favorite teachers, once pointed out on this passage that the Bible speaks of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that this is the only time that Jesus is seen standing at the right hand of God to receive his martyred, his about-to-be-martyred deacon Stephen. Imagine that. He stands to receive him. This, this wonderful, spirit-filled, wise deacon who's about to be killed, and Jesus is standing to receive him into glory. Be warned, though, if you have this kind of open heaven vision, you'll probably only have a few minutes left on the planet because you're about to experience something horrific. Stephen goes on in verses 56 through 58. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So Stephen here calls Jesus the Son of Man. This was Jesus' favorite description for himself. More than any other description, more than Messiah, Son of God, when Jesus was speaking, when he was teaching, he liked to call himself the Son of Man. Let me give you a few examples. John 1, 51. John 1, 51. I'm going to let them come up onto the screen, hopefully. Otherwise, I'll just read it to you. Okay, good. John 1, 51 it says, Jesus then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You should know this as being Jacob's dream of the ladder, right? But here Jesus is saying, I'm that ladder. But isn't it interesting? He said, you will see them ascending and descending. He's saying this to Nathaniel, on the Son of Man. John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Once again, Jesus is going to do an... A, a type or a, a symbol in the Old Testament of Moses having to make the bronze serpent. Remember the children of Israel are moaning against God. They're speaking against God and God sends fiery serpents to bite them. As they begin to get sick and some to die, the people cry out. God make, has Moses make the bronze serpent and says, put it up, up on a stake and anyone who looks at it will be healed. Jesus is saying that bronze serpent is like me. I am that bronze serpent. In other words, he who knew no sin became our sin. And God put him up on a cross. It was the Romans who put him up there, but this was the plan of God to take away our sin. He's saying, the Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? He would use Son of Man. I mean, wouldn't you think he would have said Son of God there? Listen to that first part. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, as he refers to himself. Next, John 6, 
53. Jesus is hanging out with the crowd, most of them his disciples. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You know, when I think about that passage, I always think, you know, Jesus, you're talking to a Jewish crowd. You know, it's kind of a little unkosher there to talk about you have to eat your body and drink your blood, but he's being serious. He's leading into communion. But he's saying you must eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man. They begin to grumble after a while about his teaching as he goes on to talk about manna, that, that, that he's the real manna. And in John 6, 61 through 63, he says, it says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yes, Jesus is offending them. And then he makes a claim. Basically what he's saying is, I am the Son of Man. I am that one. If you read that passage, you'll find out that that day, most of his disciples, many of them, walk away. And that's when he turns to Peter and the others and says, aren't you guys going to walk away also? And they say, who else can we go to? You have the words of life. Then John, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus had heal the man born blind. And it says in 35 through 38, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You are now seeing him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Wouldn't that be an interesting question for Jesus to come to you with? Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's really not a question we're used to. You know, it's interesting. I mean, again, this is one of the Messianic miracles that took place that many uh, Messianic rabbis will acknowledge is that of, of the, what, five or six, one of them is to give sight to a man who was born blind, along with casting out a deaf and dumb spirit, along with giving someone life after they've been dead for three days. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And then finally, Matthew 18.11, just as my final example. Matthew 18.11. Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Isn't it better to call him the Son of God, though? I mean... I mean, both are true, right? He's the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. Sometimes we oversimplify this, and we say that the Son of God refers to Jesus being God, his divinity, and Son of Man is just showing that Jesus is human. And in a very simplistic sense, yeah, that's true, but there's more to this, and that's where I want to take you today. Why is the, the title Son of Man so important? Why did Jesus use that title for himself more than any other that he could have. He could have been walking around saying, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. He could have walked around saying, I'm the Messiah. And as we know, like with Messiah, the first person he ever acknowledges he's the Messiah to is the woman at the well, John chapter 4. He didn't go around constantly saying he was the Messiah, but he did use this 
Why is it so important? Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He didn't say, who do, who do the people say I am? Who is the Son of Man? He's making a reference to a particular passage of Scripture. Jesus is speaking as if everyone understands the title Son of Man, and the people at that time in Israel probably did. What is Jesus referring to? He's speaking of a prophecy in the book of Daniel. I want to take you to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Daniel wrote down this vision. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the vision that Daniel had. Now, Daniel, this is actually quite a vision, because before this, he saw four different beasts coming forward, each one representing, and if you go read the passage, you'll find out each of the beasts represent a, a kingdom or a, a leader or a country that will take power. But then Daniel sees this vision. So every time Jesus Christ called himself the Son of Man, he was referring to this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. That's what he's doing. That's why he loves to refer to himself as the Son of Man. It, it, when, when, they re, when they hear him say that, they're thinking in their heads, Daniel chapter 7. We need to get to that point. When you read the New Testament, when you're reading the Gospels, and you see Jesus refer to himself like those other passages I just took you through, and he says, the Son of Man... Go right back to Daniel chapter 7. He's the one like the Son of Man. That's who he is. And, and have this in your heart. But I want to take you a little deeper into the understanding. So that as you read this, as you study, as you see Jesus referring to this, you have a, a deeper knowledge. This is part of Daniel, the book of Daniel, that's not written in Hebrew. It was written in Aramaic. There's a whole section of the book of Daniel written in Aramaic. A whole lot of it is Hebrew. In Hebrew, son of man is ben Adam, or ben Adam, son of Adam, which can be any human being, any descendant of Adam. We're all ben Adams. We're all the, the children of Adam. And if you go read the book of Ezekiel, you'll see that like the angels or God will speak to Ezekiel saying, son of man, do you understand this? Son of man, come here. Son of man, look at this thing. And because you can sit there and go, well, wait a minute. If Son of Man's being applied to Ezekiel, and it's applied once to Daniel in the book of, of Daniel, how can it then also apply to Jesus? How is Jesus this Son of Man? Again, it's used 93 times in Ezekiel, once in Daniel about the prophets. But in Aramaic, Son of Man is Bar Enosh, which speaks of a certain human being. It can be translated like this. Son of weakness or humility. As one commentator is saying, you could almost translate it, the weak one. The one who temporarily set aside his majesty to come to earth, die on a cross and save us. He had to submit to weakness. He had to give up the majesty being God. He's still God. Just remember, theologically, Jesus is 
fully God and fully human. The moment he's incarnated in the womb, he is fully God and fully human. And he is still fully God and fully human. He's divine and human still. He's glorified now, but forever he will be fully divine and fully human. He has taken back up his majesty again. The Son of Man in Daniel is the pre-existent one who will come to rule. The Pharisees understood what Jesus was claiming about Daniel chapter 7. Let me take you into Mark chapter 14. I have a lot of verses for you. There's only a couple more to go. This one and one more. But Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 64, says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? Jesus is being, he's on trial before the, the Sanhedrin and before the high priest. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death because Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. They all know what Jesus is saying. They know he's saying, go right back to Daniel chapter 7, to the one who will come to conquer. For them it was blasphemy. For Jesus it's the truth. It's too bad they weren't in order. I'm going to start heading into the application. (laughs) You're welcome. I I did that because we have something special coming. But Jesus is the eternal one seen in the book of Revelation. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. The apostle John is on Patmos, and he's having the vision, or the, the prophecy, the vision, the revelation. And it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. This is, the, is Jesus in his glory. Remember what Daniel chapter 7 said, though, about Jesus. He has been given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Think of the Great Commission when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is that same authority. He, let me take you back. Okay, as, as he saw, he approached the Ancient of Days. When you see Ancient of Days, don't think old man. Think of someone who pre-existed the days that we're in and was led into his presence and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations in every language worshipped him. So that's next. Jesus will have all nations and peoples of every language worship him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess who Jesus is. Taking the gospel, that's why it's so important that the gospels go to the ends of the earth and into every language. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man will rule and reign in a kingdom which we are headed for. 
I don't have like a, a strong application like this is what you need to do for the next week. This is what I've got for you. Next time you're reading the New Testament, you see Son of Man. Just understand, I, I went on this search because I was reading the New Testament. I read Jesus call himself the Son of Man. I went, do I really understand what he's saying? Do I fully understand where he's going with this? And I came to the conclusion, eh, a little bit. And so I went on a search. And so I wanted to share it with you. This is what I have for you. Understand this. He loves you. He is one like the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. And he will come in the clouds. He will return. And he will come to consummate his kingdom. So I got two parts of this application. One, just it's just so you have an understanding. I don't, every week I don't want to come up and have to give you like a, a, some deep application other than just have this in your hearts when you're reading the Gospels. Two, worship him. He's alive. He is the Son of Man and he is the Son of God. He's awesome. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending the one that's like the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. Lord God, Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge you are the Son of Man. You always have been and you always will be. You are the glorious one. You are Jacob's ladder. You are the one that, is, that was put up on a stake like the bronze snake. And if we will just gaze at you, if we will look at you and give you our hearts, we are saved. Lord God, thank you.